0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome back to the Expat Investor Podcast. As always, I'm Tom Putris, your host for today's show. And, well, what a show we've got today. Uh, sadly, uh, I did say that I'd be joined by Taylor Condon this week, um, but unfortunately she's fallen ill. I was really looking forward to talking and educating everyone more about the Women Like Us initiative that we have here at Skybound Wealth Management. However, um, it's not possible today, so get well soon, Taylor, and we hope to have you on in the next couple of weeks. Today is the 15th of March, and as I record this podcast, I do it alongside the breaking news of the UK spring budget that's currently being announced. And one of the big headlines that's actually just popped through um, from the budget so far is with regards to UK pensions. There was a lot of Uh, noise leading up to this announcement about what would happen with regards to UK pensions and the government's initiative to try and encourage people back to work. Next week, I will cover this budget in far more depth, um, but I have to say I'm shocked to see that the headline for me right now is that the UK lifetime allowance has been abolished. This means no more additional taxes on pensions that have reached a certain amount, and now pensions can now be contributed to with ultimately an unlimited amount under this new regime without incurring additional taxes. Um, it's significant, it's big. Um, Honestly, there's a lot going through my mind right now as I'm reading this information that's coming through. Um, So we're going to go away, digest it, and I'll come back next week um, with very much my trusted friend and fellow financial planner, Paul Butler, and potentially uh, another guest as well um, to join me on the show to talk more about about what that means from certainly a financial planning opportunity and a, a certainly a great opportunity to review UK pensions should you have them. Um, so yes, big, big news coming out there. It's not the only big news, um, though, that's come, come out today nor in the last seven days. So, what else did I want to talk about? Well, it's it is a bit market orientated, um, and uh. Well, quite frankly, last week was a choppy week for markets. Sadly, it didn't finish very well, though, and it didn't finish very well for a company called Silicon Valley Bank, who ended up collapsing. Silicon Valley Bank is, or was, the second largest bank to ever have failed. So who are they? What did they do? What's going on? Um, Let me just give you a little bit more insight. Silicon Valley Bank was largely a very traditional bank. Um, It took deposits from customers, it made loans, it offered the usual suite of ultimately banking services. And as the name suggests, they're located in the Silicon Valley and chose to ultimately specialise in providing services in that part of the world. Well, That part of the world is known for very specific industries and one of them is tech startups, venture capitalists, private equity businesses that then go on to fund these tech startups. And it had a very close-knit community that it served. Um, Lots of money out there, lots of people looking for uh, ultimately lending facilities and banking facilities, so very niche, if you like, from that point of view. So, you know, not a not a bank that is, you know, across the US, not a bank that is serving lots of different um, marketplaces, but one that is very specific, and potentially one that could have always been seen as a threat. You know, over the last decade or so, technology has done very well, and Sinico- the Silicon Valley has certainly seen its boom and. The SVB bank has done very well off of the back of it but over the last 12 months a lot has happened in the marketplace and really the rising interest rates is probably the thing that has pushed the bank towards its failure for anyone who doesn't know and i doubt many people um don't know this but when you give a bank your money, they don't just keep your money. Um, in order for them to make money, they have to go and do something with it. Um, so, you know, banks do often then go and purchase assets. Some of those, um, with ultimately the, the, the inflows from your deposits, they go and buy securities, mainly debt instruments like government bonds, for example. This is not out of the ordinary. This is just the banking model. They go and lend money to other people with your money. And they have to go and make money in order to be a viable business. They do have regulatory requirements to keep a proportion of your money in banks at all times. And typically top tier banks have uh, have a requirement to keep anywhere, I think four or 5% of of your money in, in the bank in terms of reserves. But you know, this isn't an ordinary, behavior from banks. Um, What has been unordinary, if you like, over the last 12 months is the rate at which US interest rates have been increasing, and they've increased very, very sharply. What happens when interest rates rise, and we've spoken about this in the past couple of podcasts, is if interest rates go up, the prices of those bonds that have previously been purchased go down. And ultimately, the assets that Silicon Valley Bank have purchased are now worth less than what they paid for them. That's not the end of the world. Um, Bonds have a maturity date, they often then um, mature and pay back the capital that was invested at the level and the premium that it was purchased for. So the risk is ultimately what you do with the bond during that period of time. If you hold it then very low risk, if you have to sell it then that's when you have a risk. So. This is what well, this is what's really happened so a block of depositors a big large portion of the banks depositors people who had put money into the bank to keep it there for safety and general cash requirements etc needed and wanted their money back and there was some of the bits and pieces going on behind the scenes with hedge funds requiring money back and encouraging other people to get their money back with it but When all these people went to the bank the bank just simply didn't have enough cash to settle the requests so on Wednesday the 8th of March three days before the collapse they announced that they had to sell government bonds and they did it at somewhere near to a 1.8 billion dollar loss on those on the value of those those bonds that they purchased so they had to get back less than what they paid and this basically set off a really big chain reaction, that news coming to the market that they were having to sell bonds. That's when I'm talking about you know, hedge funds and people being encouraged to then get your money back out of that uh, out of that bank. Um, you know, it's a very, like I said, a very small group of, of customers that they specialized in and, and well, bang really. Um, Everything then just comes to a head and multitudes of customers are trying to get their money out And by the Friday the bank just had to say we can't do it and pull the plug and hence the bank failed What you're looking at really is just a lack of diversification from the bank and and that lack of diversification has resulted in the run on the bank as you would call it in terms of people needing their, their money back and and the bank not being able to supply it. You know, other countries have seen other things over the years, Northern Rock in the UK, for example, and people are pressing the buttons on the cash machines and the cash machine's not giving anything back. It just doesn't exist. Um, And simply, you know, the, the bank just didn't have the diversity from a business plan point of view. It's the same concept when we look at financial planning and investment management. You know, we always encourage diversity. It just massively reduces your own risk, and and the bank haven't done that here. Diversification is always key, we just cannot repeat it enough. So SVB, being the second largest bank to fail, then has a bit of a chain reaction. People start to get nervous in the market. If you're an individual in the US today, you're now wondering whether or not your money is safe within that bank. And over the weekend, we saw Signature Bank Become the third largest bank of all time to fall into receivership of uh, the FDIC, which um, is there as as a backup and, and and ultimately ensures a lot of customers' deposits anyway. Um, and it's fallen into receivership of the FDIC, and and again that just continues to spook and has spooked people um, who have got money in in mid-sized banks. Um, and I think you know, a lot of the major banks have probably seen the largest deposits into into their banks in, in quite some time over the last couple of weeks. But everybody running to the bank and getting their money out of the bank will only and can only lead to more banks failing because, like I said, banks don't have all of your money in the bank at the, at the same time. So everyone trying to get their hands on it causes more problems and actually does more damage than good. Um, and again, like I said, it's led to a Signature Bank, another bank, um, seeing the run on the bank and seeing the liquidity calls and leading to it, it failing. Thankfully by kind of Sunday evening coming round, the, the US government has acted quickly. They've, they've wanted to step in and ultimately they've acted in order to prevent contagion risk spreading throughout the rest of the US. And they've granted all of SVB and signature bank depositors full access to their funds. So I guess from that point of view, some sort of bailout by the government and the regulators there to ensure that people's money is safe. And and this was very much welcomed by the marketplace, definitely allowing some certainty to know what was going to happen. We all know markets don't like uncertainty and um, events like this definitely cause a lot of it. So within the space of a week, we've seen three major uh, banks collapsed, one being SVB, two being Signature, the third was a, a bank called Silvergate which was again not very well diversified from a business practice and um, geared towards the crypto industry and handling fiat um, cash or, or money um, and helping the transactions across to, to crypto. To give you a bit of a history around banks and bank failures, since 2001 there's been 563 bank failures. The biggest of which was Washington Mutual with 188 billion in deposits back in 2008. A total of 25 banks actually failed in 2008 during that financial crisis, which then went on to have a wave over the next couple of years with 140 banks failing in 2009, a further 157 in 2010 and yet another 185 banks between 2011 and 2014 however though since 2014 we've seen very few banks fail and all of a sudden SVB has popped up and it's now the second largest bank of all time to collapse with in excess of 175 billion dollars in customers deposits it's like I said it's definitely shocked the market at the end of the day though, well, cash is trash, as they used to say, um, to, to some extent. And certainly with inflation threats, you know, we we always preach to clients, make sure that you've got emergency funds at your disposal and it to be a certain amount of income or expenditure over the next three or six months. But you've got to diversify. You can't have all your money in cash and you certainly can't have it all with one bank if you're, um, if you're worried about bank failure. I think it's worth considering and thinking about though, you know, governments around the world do provide a certain level of protection for the banking industries. And if you look at the US, like I mentioned earlier, the FDIC provide ultimately limits of $250,000 per account or per bank account with banking institution. you know that money is insured. That money will come back to you should anything happen to the bank. So if you've got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars with J.P. Morgan and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars with with Goldman Sachs, that's the best way to to protect your money from a cash deposit point of view, rather than have it all five hundred thousand um, dollars with one bank. The UK do very much the same. They have an eighty thousand um, pounds insured amount on bank accounts. So you know there is protection. Diversification is key for that purpose. Um, some countries don't provide any insurance at all. I know, I think, somewhere like the UAE, for example, where I'm based here, I don't believe that at the moment there is any insured uh, insurance around deposits on banks here. I think there has been at times. I think the, the UAE government did provide some during the 2008 financial crisis and and kind of said that they would insure bank deposits over in the next three year period. but. You know, it's important just to be aware of these things. So there's a lot being going on in the financial services world, in the banking world, and it doesn't stop there. It's, you know, it's, it's more breaking news today. And as I watch the headlines in front of me and the, the TV as, as we go through this podcast, a household name, you know, SVB and Signature Bank and Silvergate may not be familiar to some people listening today. But I'm sure you'll all be familiar with Credit Suisse. And if you've seen the news today and you've turned on whatever channel that you watch in the morning or in the evening um, to get yourself up to date, you will have seen probably Credit Suisse announce that they are in a bit of trouble. Let me say this though, this is a lot of noise and is nowhere near a direct result of what has happened in the last five, seven or 10 days. Even to be honest, over the last one or two years, this is a result of 10 plus years of mistakes slips, trips and falls by Credit Suisse. Now, Credit Suisse were a bit different. They're not an SVB, they're much more than just a bank. They are an investment firm as well, and they've got many different parts to their business. But it's all in trouble right now. What's in trouble is really their stock price falling. Today, their biggest um, shareholder Came out and said that you know he wouldn't be, or they wouldn't be committing any more money to the bank to prop them up, and they wouldn't extend their shareholding by more than ten percent. That has really rocked the market, and the stock price of Credit Suisse at one point today was down in excess of twenty-five percent. Their stock price has come down a long way from its all-time high, which at some point over the last ten years was in excess of Swiss, eighty Swiss francs, sorry, per share. Today it's dipped below two Swiss francs. It's yet to be seen what will happen with Credit Suisse. Um, but really my message here is look past the noise that you'll see on the TV. It's not necessarily a direct correlation to what's gone on with other banking failures right now. This is something that's been going on for a really long time. It's been a really big day for financial services. It's been a really big week and quite frankly the noise is far from over. Like I said last week 2023 has said hold my drink and and has thrown whatever it can at us so far this year and I think again I just want to emphasize continue to remain diversified continue to seek the help of qualified and more importantly regulated professionals in order to navigate your way through through this year it's not a big podcast for me again this week guys it's a quick update of a, a few things that have gone on and a few things that are happening right now and just for me to share some of our Uh, our information and thoughts on the matter have a great day enjoy the rest of the week and uh, we look forward to having you on again soon this was recorded on the 15th of march 2023 and all information was correct at the time of recording as always this podcast is for educational purposes only and it is not a personal recommendation if you're unsure what's right for you you should seek advice Past performance isn't a guide to the future, and investments rise and fall in value, so, you could get back less than what you invest. In.